This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. Today is Mental Health Monday. That does not mean that we're encouraging you to have mental issues on a Monday. What we're trying to do is provide gospel hope um, and just awareness. The older I get, the more I realize that there is a a ton of brokenness in the world and maybe not enough sensitivity to the struggles that other people are going through. And and our hope in this little segment is to just provide awareness. We're using a book called A Christian's Guide to Mental Illness and their answers to 30 common questions. And we've just been picking away at some of those questions. We're not dealing with all of them, but we're handpicking some. And... The hope and desire is that it just increases our awareness and sensitivity. I think this is an area where the church can just grow in how we interact with people within our church and outside of our church. And we're going to deal with two different questions today. And the first is, how does mental illness affect the sufferer? And really, it breaks down into four different categories, feelings, thoughts, our bodies, and relationships. So first, how does mental illness affect the sufferer with regard to their feelings? These are often both uh, extreme and painful emotions um, that can feel overwhelming. So the authors highlight sadness, fear, anger, despair, and feelings of worthlessness. And then I think they provide a couple of key insights. Um, one is that these feelings can be paralyzing, where the individual enduring them actually gets stuck in them, and then what's very helpful is that these are often irrational, which means they're not connected to any uh, rational thought. And so, even sometimes the the call to beckon uh, of thinking your way out of this for the mental illness sufferer, um, they don't have that capacity in that moment. That the feelings are just overwhelming, and they they don't have the ability to rationally think their way out of it. I think, and maybe this isn't fair, but I I think sometimes when people are dealing with individuals that have this imbalance in their feelings and they've attempted to kind of logically talk them out of it and it doesn't work sometimes i think the attitude is well i tried and they didn't want my help they didn't want to do anything about the situation that they were in and i think it's just helpful to recognize that Sometimes there is an illogical aspect to, to it. it. It's not a, it's not a. I don't want your help. It, it's a struggle, and and sometimes there can be almost a paralysis that occurs within that struggle with the imbalance of the feelings. Second, sometimes mental illness distorts our thoughts, and maybe just talk through what are some of those those distortions that happen. Well, they tend to be just uh, negative and obsessing over those uh, whatever perceived negative thing is going on in their life. It can be exaggerated, uh, leads to an overwhelming feeling of 
of uh, or a sense of hopelessness in the situation. There's false extremes that they kind of uh, go into of of either or type thoughts and thinking. On that one, I, I just remember as 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 sometimes as a coach, as a teacher, working with young people, and they would make a mistake, and then then, then they would be like, "I'm I am I am a complete failure." I'm like, wait, whoa, hey, what just happened? You you made a mistake, mm-hmm. and it was it was all or nothing. And once that one mistake happened, naturally, of course, mm-hmm. they're worthless. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You you're fine, but having them understand that they were fine, yeah, was a struggle. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you were saying no. I was I was done. Oh, I, was, okay. I, was, I was passing the baton. Another one is uh, <laughs> false generalization. So you think about experiencing uh, maybe an unpleasant uh, circumstance or event, and then that becomes the the meta narrative for your life for everything. So the authors illustrate if there's a perhaps a young man who gets rebuffed by a young woman, all of a sudden he anticipates and expect that's going to happen every time he speaks to any young woman is he's going to be rebuffed. That's a false generalization. I mean, I, I had a daughter that really struggled. Just She was an introvert. She was um, a shy person and had some negative experiences having to be in front of other people. And then from that, it just went to, well, I can't ever be in front of people. Mm. And it took years for her to work through, no, that's actually not true. The one negative experience doesn't define every other upcoming experience. And and that's goes into the next one. He, he calls it a false fil- filter, where we tend to pick out the negative in every situation. So I mean, we might have positive, we have might have a mixture of positive and negative things, but we tend to dwell on the negative. Uh, we tend to dwell on what we did wrong, and in that sense, and and we and to the exclusion of everything else. We so we're filtering out everything. Yeah, you, know, you get. You know, when I was teaching in school, a kid would get a ninety on a on an exam. He was always he was frustrated about the other ten percent. You may might have even only been one question that he got wrong. You know, in the course of the of it that counted heavily against him, maybe ten percent, and and he would want to come back and he he just dwelt on that. Like, Man, ninety percent. That's that's still that's still pretty good. And I think that can be just a word to. You know, pastors out there listening to. I mean, I think this particular one can affect pastors uh, significantly because I mean, you may have a congregation that's ninety-five percent behind you, but maybe there's that you know five or even just one percent that's a negative <coughs> critique or negative influence that can just dwell on. You can dwell on that and not look past the support that you have. I had a laugh. I, my son played piano for church on sunday night and i mean that's five songs that's a prelude that's an offertory that's a postlude so it's a lot of music that he's playing and naturally i'm up there in in the congregation you know involved in worship and i heard him make a couple mistakes i mean you're talking just a a small handful and people just were so excited about him playing he's he's 17 so he's a younger guy and I thought he played just marvelously, and he couldn't get over the mm. couple mistakes that he made. Right. Like, ah, uh, I like. I thought you played great tonight. Well, but I messed up. And it's that idea of the the false filter. Last one is a false transformation. So this is where you take uh, neutral or positive experiences and and actually transform them mentally into negative experiences. Um, I think one of the themes that runs through all all of these is this idea of falseness, 
that is, what is objectively true or what objectively happened gets changed or uh, misinterpreted in the brain. Mm-hmm. In so, the he, so, he, so he would use the illustration, you know, somebody compliments somebody and then they go, oh, they're only doing that because they want something out of me. Yep. You know, yeah. so they they're trans they're they're change they're taking a, they're transforming what has been said into some a false negative thought. Yeah, or but, oftentimes you hear them just say, "Well, they're just trying to be nice." Yeah, they're, they're just, just being nice. They're just being nice. Yeah, we've tried to talk through this with our kids, and in, in the fact that when we compliment one of them, it is not a detriment or detraction to the others. We're just mm-hmm. simply highlighting something positive in one of our children. Mm-hmm. The next category is he. They talk about how mental illness damages our bodies. What what is he saying here? Well, I, I think that, uh, for instance, anxiety. Anxiety will anxiety can bring on all kinds of uh, health issues if you're if you live in an anxious state of mind. You know, it might it might you know might create a certain physical problems for you. I mean, I I you, those of us who preach. There's a certain anxiety that comes every Sunday morning. You know, I posted something. Uh, yeah, um, I think it's a little bit more than a certain anxiety. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, uh, I, I reposted something uh, Harry Reader said. He said, I don't think I've ever had a, a comfortable Saturday night sleep. You know, I think that's the anxiety. So it affecting you physically in your tiredness and everything else that you're going through. Just a uh, Kind of a mundane example. I have a daughter that is at college right now and runs track and field, and she, you know, called home a couple of weeks ago, very frustrated about the workout that she wasn't able to really do very well in in the workout. Well, she had a ton of other things going on in her life, a lot of other stressors and anxieties and situations that were kind of piling up. And we said, "Oh, sweetie, you have so much stress right now in your life." Because she was worried that there was something wrong with her. Mm. And we're like, what's wrong with you is you're trying to carry the weight of the world. Mm-hmm. And that affects you physically. And she's like, it does? Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, sweetie. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, stress is huge. It has a huge effect on your on you physically, yeah. not just mentally. And so it was a huge relief for her to just find out, oh, I don't have something physically wrong with me other than the anxiety and the stress and all the other stuff that she was dealing with. Yeah, we're actually a whole creature, right? We're mind, body, and soul, and those aren't segmented out. What's mm-hmm. going on in our mind affects our body. What's going on in our body affects our mood and mind, mm-hmm. um, and what's going on in our soul has an well, impact on both of those. And, and yeah. one biblical example of that, not I mean, I say this carefully because, I mean, Jesus did not have like a, a mental disorder or anything, but it, it highlights what stress can do to us physically. Just the night that he was betrayed in the Garden of the Gethsemane. I mean, under such the weight of what he was about to do, uh, we're told that he was sweating drops of blood, and that's a real physical condition where you're under such stress that the uh, capillaries uh, burst and blood leaks into your pores and you sweat blood. Well, and and, uh, I think the Lord actually understood some of this because he understood his physical needs. So there were times when he departed from the group to pray, mm-hmm. uh, to do, to get away from the crowd, because there is a, that is a stressor. I mean, in fact, we recognize how much this happens to our bodies. You know, when we're under a, a particular stress, particularly if you're ministering to someone who's dealt with a bereavement, who's just lost somebody in death, 
you know, oftentimes they they become sick afterwards because it because their whole body is run down. And the last of this grouping is that mental illness impairs relationships. So just talk through how that works out in time and space. Well, the tendency is to become uh, withdrawn. You don't want to interact with people. You don't want to socialize. And so you really kind of just close in. And that can even, you know, as Jonathan just mentioned, grief. I mean, that can be if you're going through the loss of someone. I mean, that can be a period of time where you just you do you just kind of close in on yourself and that does have an impact on the relationships around you the old saying to have friends you need to be friendly and sometimes uh, you know this you know, when we're having a mental uh, block it we don't want to spend the time that friendship requires which puts us in a downward spiral because we don't have those people around us i think it's important to think about the social stigma around mental illness as well, both um, just socially outside of the church, but also unfortunately for so long inside the church. Whether we lack the skill or the knowledge or insight to mm-hmm. to help, often those who suffer just naturally withdraw and isolate because they're, uh, as the authors quote out, when when you can't relate to uh, what's going on inside the body, it becomes very difficult to relate with others outside your body. Mm-hmm. And and the importance is just to draw near those people. Absolutely, I mean, it's it, you know the best things that Job's friends did when Job was suffering was they came, yep. right? And uh, I silence. think that and sat in silence with them. So that's even we can do that much with with somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, you have been listening to the Gospel for Life. It's always a joy to begin the day and the week um, with you, and we will see you tomorrow.